that time, the sports talker. Here's TJ Walker. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Monday edition of the Sports Soccer here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. Hope everybody had a great weekend and didn't miss me too much on Friday as I had to go down to North Carolina for a wedding. Great time down there. I was in the mountains. Enjoyed it. Got to turn right back around and head south. Heading down to Peach Jam this week, the biggest AAU tournament of the year. I was kind of going through my list of teams and players uh, UK targets that will be a, that will be playing in Peach Jam, and it's it's a very solid list. It's uh, around thirteen guys that I feel are are very interested in Kentucky and vice versa. But then there's probably an extra seven or eight, making that total around twenty or twenty one guys that I, I feel down the road Kentucky may show interest, or at least they've had some conversations. So it's going to be a busy week down in uh, North Augusta, South Carolina. It's right on the border of South Carolina and Georgia. In Georgia, the city's called Augusta. Of course, that's they have some sort of golf tournament there. And then in South Carolina, it's North Augusta, but they're all right there. Uh, a lot of teams will stay in Georgia. A lot of teams will stay in South Carolina. It's It's the same city virtually. Anyways, we got a jam-packed show with you today. It's been a busy sports Monday. A lot to talk about. Not a ton to talk about from the weekend, although the World Cup came to a close and I didn't there were there were plenty of World Cup games and talk I didn't really get to give. I didn't get to give my prediction. But as we have it, Germany wins the World Cup 1-0 over Argentina in extra time. An exciting World Cup final. Uh, it did feel bad for Argentina going down that late. However, I do like the fact that there was actually a true winner in extra time. It didn't have to it didn't have to have the world champion decided by penalty kicks. Good match. I think throughout the tournament, Germany looked like the best team. So they they certainly deserved to win. A fun game. We'll talk more a little more about the World Cup and uh, an interesting article I read on USA Soccer today. We'll get to that later. Finally have Yates back in studio. Yates, how are you? Doing well, TJ. How about yourself? I'm doing better now. You, you stuck me with Trevor all week. Last week, it was uh, not an ideal situation. Come on, what do you mean? How could hanging out with Trevor not be ideal? <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun. We, we talked mostly about music. It got out of control and off topic like many of my shows do, regardless whether or not Trevor or you are running the board, but glad to have you back. And I did find out that Trevor went to, I believe, Chicago this weekend, this weekend for the audition for the Jeopardy, the Sports Jeopardy game. Is that correct, Yates? That is correct. I had uh, applied for that just pretty much out of boredom, and it was not a very strict credential it to get invited to this tryout. I, I got accepted like Trevor did, except I was probably never going to go in the first place and just because I, I didn't really want to just travel to Chicago for that uh, with how much traveling I've done this summer. And also, the wedding was the same weekend. It said you could reschedule if you called and did this and did that. I wasn't going to bother, but I'm glad that Trevor did. And I did talk to Trevor a little bit about how the audition went, the Sports Jeopardy audition did go. I guess that show is going to be on 
TV. I don't really know the details of when the show's going to air. I know Dan Patrick's going to host it, but it's going to be a really fun game for sports fans. I'm a big Jeopardy fan, try to watch it every night, so I'll be excited to watch the sports Jeopardy that Trevor tried out for. Unfortunately for our friend and 1450, the Sports Buzz family member, Trevor, did not make it to the next round. I think they have two or three rounds before you actually get a spot on the show. Trevor did not make it. I asked him. I, I was very curious how the audition went and, and and tried to guess of maybe how I would do. It sounds like I would have probably been in a similar boat that Trevor was in and not made it out of the first round. He said that what you did is you had 30 questions that I think he said that you had four minutes to answer. Not a lot of time. And you get to... I don't know if there were multiple choice questions or not. Trevor didn't really go into detail about that. But you had four minutes to answer 30 questions. Trevor thought he got maybe 15 out of 30 right, which doesn't necessarily sound that good. But given the, the short time limit and, and some of the questions that he sh- that they asked, it's not bad, but he said it wasn't good enough to make it to the next round. And I think the next round was when you actually went on camera and played against other contestants contestants in a Jeopardy fashion, which would have been fun to see. Maybe we could have gotten the footage of that, of Trevor doing that, if he had made it to the next round. But not to be uh, sure Trevor did a did a fine job in, when it comes to sports knowledge. Uh, not many people at the station can really question him. I know I certainly cannot. But it would have been uh, it's a good experience. It would have been fun if I would have been able to to do it. But glad that we had somebody there. Trevor seemed like he did okay. So anyways, a lot of sports news. The biggest one today, obviously, coming from college basketball. I I guess college basketball. SMU guard, one of the top players in the 2014 class, the best guard, in my opinion, in the 2014 class, Emmanuel Moutier, will not play college basketball. He is foregoing his college uh, season, his eligibility, and heading to the pros, although he certainly can't go straight to the NBA. So now we'll have to see where he ends up. He likely will go overseas. He wants to immediately start making money for his family. He said in a release, uh, Larry Brown, the coach of SMU, said that he understands the decision and he is in a unique situation because he has to start getting some income right away. Now, Adrian Orjanowski was the first person to report this news from Yahoo, like he so often reports news all over the place. Uh, I mean, he's just the best in the business, but he was the first person to report this news. And he says he and, and Woj is saying that Emmanuel Moutier is possibly facing some eligibility problems that he possibly wouldn't have been eligible. Now, uh, Moutier's family and Brown are quickly saying that he was accepted into SMU. Academics weren't the problem. Of course, he goes to the infamous prime here. He went to the infamous prime prep that has been scrutinized by the NCAA over the past few years as not being a legitimate uh, school. It doesn't really carry over the workload. So that that I wonder if that has something to do with it or not. But more so, Woj is saying that there were amateurism problems that maybe somewhere along the way of his high school career, he was getting some money or something was happening that would have made him not eligible in 
college basketball. It would have been interesting to see how this played out. Now, a lot of Kentucky fans, this is of interest to them because Emmanuel Moutier was target number one for the 2014 class for John Calipari. That was supposed to be the next point guard in line. And Kentucky missed. Kentucky missed on him to SMU of all places. I think a lot of fans, a lot of college basketball fans, a lot of people nationally, that was a head scratcher. But especially for close fans, UK fans that follow recruiting, they just couldn't believe in what world does Kentucky lose a recruit to SMU of all places. Now, I followed this recruitment and I've talked to Emmanuel Moutier. It was interesting. It was a it, his recruitment was interesting in the sense that there were a ton of rumors swirling about Emmanuel Moutier and his college decision. Now I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't necessarily believe any of them. There were some the the biggest rumor was that if he went to SMU, people at SMU promised that he'd be eligible. That any problems of his past, of his academic past with Deion Sanders Prime Prep School, would be pushed to the side, they'll figure a way around, and they promised him eligibility. That was the one that kind of got thrown out as soon as he committed to SMU. I think a lot of Kentucky fans were just looking for a way to rationalize how they could miss out on such a big recruit with John Calipari's recruiting record. That was the one that came to mind. I don't necessarily believe that. I, I do, But regardless of... I've seen a lot of people on Twitter today say that John Calipari knew what he was doing. He he didn't land Emmanuel Moutier because of this reason. That's completely false. And and I know that to be a, a fact or as close to the fact as possible. John Calipari, just like a lot of other coaches, although it eventually just came down to SMU Kentucky, wanted Emmanuel Moutier, wanted them bad. Now, a lot of the coaches did know that there were some question marks, some with prime prep in how their courses translate over to college courses. And there were some question marks. There's been players that have gone to prime prep to other colleges that have had to answer some questions from the NCAA and maybe retake some courses. Uh, from an academic standpoint, there were certainly a few question marks, but uh, there were certainly uh, amateur question marks as well. And there was some risk involved if anybody you asked in this recruitment, but coaches were okay with that. They didn't think that this would be a, a deal breaker with Emmanuel Moutier. I don't think any coach, from my opinion, thought that he wouldn't be eligible. But John Calipari definitely wanted him one way or the other. Whether or not he, he, he wanted to take on the risk, he thought that he would be eligible ultimately. I think everybody kind of did. I certainly did. And, and he wanted him. So this was a flat-out miss by, by John Calipari. Just like Stanley Johnson when he went to Arizona 2014 featured a few uh, surprising misses for, for Calipari. Something you don't generally see from Kentucky when it comes to landing their number one top priority recruits. But it happened in 2014. Emmanuel Moutier was one of those guys. It ended up being a blessing in disguise. Now, again, John Calipari didn't back off Emmanuel Moutier because he, of these reasons. But it turned out to be the best case scenario for Kentucky this upcoming season and Kentucky for the future. One, you don't get Emmanuel Moutier. They have to move to target number two. And when Emmanuel Moutier decided to go to SMU, John Calipari didn't immediately go after anybody. He kind of took a step back, evaluated some point guards. Josh Perkins, who I believe ended up at Gonzaga, was a guy a lot of people thought UK might go after. But at the end of the day, John Calipari keyed in on Tyler Ulis, and it worked. So John Calipari got his option number two. 
Tyler Eulis, great point guard. People are starting to figure that out. For those that haven't seen him play yet, you'll see him at UK this year. And despite being 5'9", you will be shocked with how good he is. Just a true um, uh, a true talent, super skilled, a great leader, will we'll have a great career at Kentucky, whether that's three or four years. I don't know. I, I think NBA teams are going to have a tough time taking him, but the talent level, there's no questioning. So Kentucky gets Tyler Eulis. Andrew and Aaron Harrison decide to come back. Most importantly, Andrew Harrison, but also Aaron Harrison. Kentucky would have been awfully thin at guards if the Twins don't come back. So they come back. So now you have three guards that can bring the ball up the court. you got Devin Booker, who can also bring the ball up the court, and Dominique Hawkins, who looked good during stretches of that NCAA tournament. So now you possibly going for you have a scenario where you don't land the twins or you don't have them come back, and you're you're, you're a little bit thin at point guard. So let's paint this scenario. Let's say John Calipari doesn't miss on his top point guard target like he virtually never has throughout his career uh, at Kentucky. Let's say he lands Emmanuel Moutier. Moutier commits early to SMU. I, I think it was sometime in August. Let's say he mit, he commits to Kentucky at that time. Kentucky doesn't get Tyler Ulyss. There's no way. Ulyss ends up going to Iowa or Michigan State. I got a feeling it's Michigan State. So Tom Izzo gets his guard. Kentucky has John Calipari gets his guard. He's got Emmanuel Moutier. So after the year, UK still loses in the national title. You have some guys go. You have some guys stay. And then you have Andrew and Heron Harrison have to – they're obviously, as you all remember, they went deep into, I guess, April, was it, to decide if they wanted to come back or not. So they're considering everything. If Emmanuel Moutier is on board, the Twins leave. They don't stick around. Moody is a guy that not only would get a ton of playing time, because Tyler Ulyss is going to get a lot of playing time too, but there would be no way that Emmanuel Moody wouldn't start. That's how talented of a guard he is. Now, I guess there could be a situation, a, a scenario where you start Emmanuel Moody and, and Andrew Harrison and Aaron Harrison and run a three-guard lineup. But more than likely, Emmanuel Moody is going to take away the Harrison's playing time one way or the other. And he's going to have the ball in his hand. So I don't think the Harrison Twins come back. I think they leave. So let's furthermore take this situation to a point where Kentucky lands Emmanuel Moutier. The Harrison Twins leave. Tyler Eulis goes elsewhere because that's too crowded of a backcourt. Kentucky's got their guard in Emmanuel Moutier. Now today we find out Emmanuel Moutier is not going to play college basketball. Whether or not it's because he wouldn't have been eligible or whether it was because he wanted to make money for his family, he's not going to play. So let's say this happened to the Kentucky, and I can't even imagine today if he were at Kentucky. I couldn't imagine how busy I would be. I couldn't imagine all the media attention it would be uh, garnering if he ended up committing to the Wildcats. But besides that, besides all the additional attention it would have brought, and, and of course you'd probably get some negative John Calipari columns and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, he leaves. So what does that leave Kentucky? Because the Harrison Twins would have left. Tyler Ulyss would have gone elsewhere. And Emmanuel Moutier, your starting point guard, would have been gone. So you would have had Devin Booker. And you'd have Dominique Hawkins. That 
would be trouble for Kentucky. And I like those guards. I think they're talented. I think they're skilled. But if you're having to start them, that's not ideal. And not only if you're having to start them, but they're having to play the majority of these games. They can't really go to the bench to take a break. Now, I think in this situation, Kentucky would have probably brought in a graduate transfer sometime in May, knowing that uh, Emmanuel Moutier would need some help in the backcourt. But a graduate transfer wouldn't have been an, an easy fix. He wouldn't have been a super skilled guy. So you're going from a season that Kentucky is the clear number one team entering the year. I'm not saying they're the clear number one team to cut down the title, but to enter the year, it's tough to make an argument against UK being the number one team in the country. So you're going from this to if Emmanuel Moutier committed, the guy that everyone wanted this time last year, and rightfully so. He's unbelievable. He could possibly be the number one draft pick. If he commits, you go to a situation where I don't think Kentucky's a top 25 team to start the year. I don't, regardless of how talented their front court is. So you talk about dodging a bullet. That is dodging a missile, a torpedo. Kentucky lucks out. And that's great news for Kentucky. And they're in a much better situation. And even if I I could have even made a case that one year of Emmanuel Moutier on this team would not be better than four years of Tyler Uless. If you've got the Harrison twins, you Emmanuel Moutier would have been great if that would have worked out in that situation. I don't think it would have. You, you would have had scoring virtually from everywhere. It would have made this year's team probably slightly better. It would have made them better, not slightly. But now you're st- you still have a very talented, skilled point guard. You still have great options throughout, the, throughout top to bottom. But now you're going to have Tyler Udless for four years a great passing guard, a, a, a strong, mentally strong, and is going to just uh, going to have his way in Calipari's offense. You're going to get him for four years, and also if you don't have him this year, it turns out you wouldn't have had Emmanuel Moutier this year, and it would have been a disaster. So Kentucky dodges a, a, a bullet, works out well. It's a bummer not going to be able to see Emmanuel Moutier in, in college basketball this year. He would have been fun to watch. Would have dominated the AAC. I think SMU would have beat out UConn for that AAC title and been a serious threat in March. I don't know if they would have made a Final Four, but I think they could have had a had a decent shot out. So we're gonna head to our first commercial break. We'll come back. Plenty more to talk about. Like I mentioned, UK releases their football depth chart. SEC media days are going on now, so we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break here on fourteen fifty the Sports Bus. You're listening to The Sports Talker with T.J. Walker on 1450 The Sports Buzz. 
1450 the sports buzz. TJ Walker, the sports soccer. Bummed to miss last Friday's show. And happy to be back. Bummed I'm going to have to miss some of this week. Want to get some stability in the radio show and be able to do it on a daily basis. But this is summer. It's busy. It's busy recruiting-wise, and it's been very busy for Kentucky. Um, kind of a bad weekend for me to to be out of town and be away from internet over the last few days as Kentucky just goes on this little offering spree in basketball, offering Henry Ellenson, a power forward from Wisconsin, Brandon Ingram, a, a small forward from North Carolina. It, it just was kind of surprising to see those two names. And then Antonio uh, Blankney, a guard from Florida, who is one of Louisville's top targets and, and Florida's top targets. So UK offers him. It's interesting. It was interesting to see that, uh, to see all three of those offers, honestly, but especially the Brandon Ingram and Henry Ellenson offers. Ingram thought to be a, a Duke lean, if not a Duke lean, North Carolina's in the picture. He's from North Carolina. A lot of people thought it's going to be tough to get him out of the state. He has a unique game. A big guy, six foot eight, that can score from the perimeter. Also, put it on the floor and, and score inside. His post-up moves need some work, but they're but they're there. Henry Ellenson, similar, just a little bit bigger, can can score from anywhere. That was the most surprised person I, I saw can, uh, that Kentucky offered over this weekend, just because I didn't know that they were even on. Kentucky was on the radar, or he was on Kentucky's radar. So a lot of people have been asking me why Kentucky has offered these three guys. Why did they go on this little offering spree? Well, this is a lot of teams do this. A lot of teams, colleges today or last night, they met as a staff, talked about what they saw during the first evaluation period, who they liked, who they disliked. And last night or today, colleges are coming up with a new list of guys to go after. So some of these guys Kentucky has offered, maybe they could possibly be off that list. We'll probably know more during the second evaluation period to see who Kentucky's watching, who they're not watching. But right now, Kentucky just wants to to play it safe. There's a good chance they're going to need a lot of guys at the end of this year with how many people go pro. And there's a good chance they're going to miss out on some of these other targets that they're looking after. So what Calipari wants to do is just kind of be in the ear of as many guys as possible maybe they're not UK's first choice, but if Kentucky misses out on their first choice, then Calipari and the staff can say, hey, listen, we we liked you. We liked what we saw this summer. Uh, we offered you. That's part of the reason why we offered you. Now we want to make you one of our top priorities. They want to they want to kind of be in the back of these players' minds, so it's understandable to see why they did that. So this recruiting class is going to be interesting to see how it all plays out for Kentucky, who ends up where. We'll get a better idea, I think, who Kentucky is really keen in on after this week, like I said. But I still don't expect too many commitments before or by the end of this year, by the end of 2014. I think a lot of the guys UK are going after won't commit till 2015. I also haven't had a chance at all today to talk LeBron Yates. I got to eat some crow. You said that that could likely happen or it'd be a possible destination. I totally wrote it off, said there wouldn't be a chance of that happening. And sure enough, you're right. I'm wrong. It's, it's just uh, 
just like you said, man. Welcome to uh, life with me. If that was uh, here, here's I, I had much stronger takes on this on when this happened earlier. Uh, I guess that was Friday. The days really run together when you're living in the woods, but I guess this was Friday. But I had a lot of stronger takes on it Friday when it happened, and I, I, I had feelings of disbelief. And honestly, I felt like I, I didn't like LeBron as much as I did when he first announced. Then I read his letter. I got around to reading his letter. That cleared things up for me. It made me understand his point of view. I didn't necessarily like the move back to Cleveland. But I thought that was a, a well-written letter. It addressed all the issues that everybody wanted to, uh, to to know more about. And he ends up in Cleveland. And and you were right. I was wrong. I, I didn't think that would happen. I, I the reason I didn't think it was happen would happen was because of Dan Gilbert and because of the way he trashed LeBron when he left. But those issues were addressed. Yates, what was your reaction to see him? go back home to Cleveland? Um, I mean, I obviously, I mean, I guess I, even though I predicted it, I was maybe, I don't know, maybe a little surprised. But, I mean, I felt like that probably was going to be his best chance to win over the next few seasons. I mean, you're talking about Kyrie Irving, who's one of the best point guards in the league. You just drafted Andrew Wiggins, number one overall. Yeah, I mean, you, they have, I guess they have some pieces there that they could potentially make a move for Kevin Love. Although I, I don't think I would trade Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love if I was them. But, I mean, I don't, we'll see what they do. And he, he did it the right way this time. I was, I'm not a big LeBron fan in general. And I thought the decision was maybe one of his worst decisions ever, not for what he did, but how he did it. And I think he did it pretty much perfect this time. Yeah, I, I thought it was perfect the way he handled it. Like I said, that letter is so well written, and I know LeBron is not an idiot by any accounts. Despite those who dislike him, they, they'd probably disagree with me there. But he—I know he's a smart guy. He, he's articulate. He does. Inter- I mean, he's a professional. He does interviews very well. But he had to have have help on that letter. It was almost poetic in, in some of the ways he went about it. That was very, very well written. And I don't just mean your basic editing, which obviously he needed help on because I everybody needs help with editing. I certainly need help on editing. But it was almost a poetic letter. It was very well written in that sense. He couldn't have he couldn't have gone about that any better than he did. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there was ever a question that maybe going back to Cleveland for his long-term future would be a better move in terms of winning more championships. But I really did think that the Dan Gilbert stuff, he could forgive him, but why reward him? Why reward somebody that trashed you like that? And I get the, and I thought it was a good line from LeBron saying, who am I to hold a grudge? I made a mistake in how I did the decision. He made a mistake with that letter. He's right about that. People make mistakes and doesn't mean you can't forgive people, but now you are rewarding Dan Gilbert and you're going to make him a lot more money. Not that, you know, he probably needed it, but you're going to make him a lot more money. You're going to make him a lot happier because you're going to make Cleveland a competitor. Cleveland could have gotten there anyways. You do have Kyrie. You do have Andrew Wiggins. It, It could have happened anyways, but now you're an instant competitor. I don't think anybody would be shocked to see Cleveland win the championship next year. I do disagree with you a little bit, Yates. I do think I would trade Kevin Love 
for Andrew Wiggins right now. If you could do that, and I think, I mean, maybe maybe the Cavaliers could get some draft picks from it. I don't know really how that would work. But Kevin Love's, what, 26 years old, 25. I just looked it up. He'll be 26 by the start of the season. You have to imagine if you have a team of Kevin Love, LeBron James, and Kyrie Irving, you're winning the East as long as you have those three together. I know that the Bulls are are their competitors, and if Derrick Rose gets healthy, they might be they, they they might have a serious chance to to get out of the East. The Pacers are have, have been a well built team for the past few years, haven't been able to get over the hump of beating the Heat, and the Heat are going to be okay too. Uh, they're going to be a team that's going to make the playoffs, and and you know Pat Riley is going to do everything he can to have that team competitive life after LeBron. But even all those teams, all those things considered, the Cavs with Kyrie, LeBron, and Kevin Love, you'd have, in my opinion, the best forward in the East, the best center, I guess, whatever Kevin Love wants to be called. You'd have the best forward or center. I'm taking Kevin Love over Joe Kim Noah. Taking Kevin Love over Chris Bosh, obviously. Taking Kevin Love over Al Horford. You name you name a, a forward or a center in the East, and I'm taking Kevin Love over him. You have the best player, obviously, in LeBron James. And you debatably have the best point guard. If not the best point guard, you've got the a top three point guard in the East in Kyrie Irving. If Derrick Rose gets healthy and gets back to his form, uh, he's in the conversation. You could say Rajon Rondo is better than Kyrie Irving. I'd be okay with that. You could say John Walls uh, better than Kyrie Irving. I would probably be okay with that too. So there are other uh, – Kyrie Irving might not be the best point guard in the East, but he's definitely, I think, top three. So that team, if you have Kevin Love, they, they without question, they win the East. Every year you have those three together for at least four years. So you'll have you'll be you'll have a basic buy in my opinion to the NBA Finals for four straight years, just like he, just like LeBron had in Miami. Now I do feel the West is still obviously a lot better than the East, and I know there's plenty of West teams that could match up with the Cavs in this in this situation. Kevin Love's not the best center in the NBA. He's not the best forward in the NBA. There's better forwards and centers in the West. Kyrie is not the best. Point guard in the NBA, he's like I said, he's probably not the best point guard in the East. He's certainly not the best point guard in the West. So you could possibly lose in the finals, but you're virtually having a bye to the finals. That's why I would trade Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins, because for the next four or five years, you, in my opinion, you're going to have a great, unbelievable uh, chance to get to the NBA finals. And once you're there in a seven-game series, virtually anything can happen. So that's why I, I say you do that, Yates. You, you trade Kevin Love for, for Andrew Wiggins if you can make that happen. I disagree. I mean, here's the thing. You can wait this season out and potentially get Kevin Love without giving up anything. I mean, you the Cavaliers have all the leverage. I mean, there's no – they don't have to necessarily have to make the move. I mean, and Kevin Love can pretty much say, well, I'm only going to re-sign with Cleveland. Wherever you trade me, Cleveland is the only place I'm going to re-sign. So then, 
I mean, that's the only place they're going to trade him because nobody else is going to want him if he's not going to resign. I just, I think, I think you're giving up more than you have to if you give up Wiggins to get Kevin Love. I'm not saying I wouldn't want Kevin Love, but I wouldn't give up Andrew Wiggins for him. Well, you do have a chance to be able to land him after this upcoming season, but then I feel that becomes a lot tougher. You've got to beat out other teams to get him. It basically turns into recruitment, and Minnesota wouldn't be able to offer the money that some other teams would be able to offer. And I, and I, I I'm probably I, I bet Kevin loves at the point where he doesn't have to be getting paid a ton of money. He just wants to win because he's just been on the Timberwolves for so long that it's it's got to be wearing on him losing after losing. So maybe he does just want to go to the Cavs and, and take less money because he wants to, to be on a competitor. And if that's the case, then yet again, Yates, you're correct. And that's the right thing to do. But I just think it, it would be a lot easier to have him virtually delivered to you with his promise of re-signing than you'd have those few years. You'd have a, a guaranteed couple years of being dominant without Andrew Wiggins. And, and you send Andrew Wiggins to a place where he's not going to hurt you. He's not going to hurt the Cavs. Now, could if Andrew Wiggins turns into one of the best basketball players in the NBA in three years, then, then that's probably a poor decision. But I don't think he's going to. I really don't. I do think it's a good fit to have Andrew Wiggins play with LeBron. That's certainly going to help his development. But I... I we're going to see. We're going to see, and that's the, that's the fun thing about it. I don't know if Andrew Wiggins is, is ready to compete on a on a high level in the playoffs, in the NBA Finals, going against guys that are more experienced than him, that can match his athleticism, but are stronger. People in the NBA are a lot stronger than people in college and certainly people in high school. So Andrew Wiggins has a long way to go in that sense. I, I just think if you could assure Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins, I think I would do that. It, but you are right. The... There, there's a chance you can get Kevin Love without losing Wiggins, and and it's not my team, it's not my money, it's not my future. So as a fan, I, I think it's much easier said than done than if you're an owner or coach of a team giving the okay there. But I, I thought it was interesting. And like I mentioned, when LeBron originally announced for Cleveland, I wasn't thrilled with it. I kind of thought less of him, but his letter, his letter kind of won me back over. I don't want to see Dan Gilbert ever be a winner just because I feel like he's a loser not in terms of his win-loss record as an owner, but just as a, as a person, I think he's kind of a loser. But he made a mistake. He made a mistake with that letter, and uh, if LeBron's willing to forgive him, then maybe maybe the media, like myself, should, or, or, the, or the national public. He just kept it on the website for so long. So, it is what it is. Brun DMC is tweeting in, said, heard maybe... Heard mentioned on Dan Patrick's show that maybe Cal regrets not coaching the Cavs. Do you think he regrets not coaching this team? And then he says that it would be one of the most talented teams available, especially if they got Kevin Love. Cal has to be kicking himself for not coaching the Cavs. And I don't think we're going to find this out, his true feelings on this, until he's done coaching or he takes an NBA team. But eventually Cal's going to send out a tweet or put out a letter on CoachCal.com talking about how he realizes the missed opportunity he have. I don't think he's going to call it a regret because he's going to get a coach, a really good college team and, and have a chance to win some NBA championships. He might as well go. He might go as far as saying he's happy with the decision he made because he's going to get a change lives with being a college coach and doing this and that. Uh, knowing Cal, that's, it wouldn't surprise me if he said that, but there's no doubt in my mind if he could go back in time, knowing LeBron would take over and the Cavs get the number one pick, 
that he wouldn't take that job. One, he'd be getting paid just a ridiculous amount of money, more than at UK. So money's not an issue. Two, Calipari cares about his legacy. He cares about wins and losses. He does. He might say that he doesn't, but he certainly does. And winning that college championship for him was huge. But he wants to be considered one of the best coaches ever. He's super competitive, always has been, always will be. His failed time in the NBA is very embarrassing to him. It weighs heavy on him. He would love, he would have loved a chance to be a winner in the NBA. He would love a chance to win an NBA title and a college title. And he knows if he was coaching that Cavs team, they would have won. Is Eric Spolstra a better NBA coach than John Calipari? No doubt about it. Is Eric Spolstra one of the top NBA coaches in the league? I don't think so. He was able to go to four straight finals because he had a great team. An unbelievable team. John Calipari could have done the same thing, in my opinion. And he knows that. And if he could go back, he would not be the head coach at Kentucky right now. Good news for Kentucky fans. But like I said back then when he was debating, if he w- if he's ever going to leave Kentucky, which I'm not sure if he is now because LeBron's going to be stay, he's going to stay put in Cleveland. And if if the Cavs fire their head coach and they offer LeBron, or offer John Calipari, then maybe he goes. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think I honestly think John Calipari may be more likely to stay and say at UK now because of LeBron's decision. I really do. I think in the long run, he. I'm not saying he's never going to leave. But I, I'm more convinced he's going to stay now that LeBron is is in Cleveland. I don't know if Cleveland would offer LeBron or John Calipari again after he turned him down with that much money. So, that being said, if John Calipari ever were to leave Kentucky, this would have been the year to do it. You could bring in a great coach. I've made that point before. We're going to head to our last commercial break. I, I, I've been trying to get to football. We'll do that in the last segment. It's been a busy day. It's been a fun day here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be right back. To the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. We're back here, one final segment on the Sports Talker. I'm TJ Walker. Rob Blackhawk tweaks in. Supposedly, I wasn't clear about what I was saying to end the second segment. Cal, he says, Cal would have taken the Cavs job if he knew LeBron was coming, but he wouldn't take the job now that LeBron is there. I don't follow your logic. That wasn't what I was trying to get at. I'm saying that the Cavs wouldn't offer Calipari again. I don't think they'd offer Calipari again because they turned he he turned him down. He turned him down when they were offering a lot of money. So I, I don't think that they would offer John Calipari the job again, and especially not for that amount of money down the road. Now, if LeBron were to say, I want Calipari to be my coach, then yes, Cleveland would offer Calipari, and I think in that situation, Calipari would take the job. But this is something we've I, I've talked about. There's been no indication that that LeBron wants to play for Calipari, no serious one. 
not that he wouldn't want to play for him either if that was the coach in place, but if somebody was asking LeBron, if Dan Gilbert were saying, who do you want to coach? We have no reason to believe that the first name he'd say would be John Calipari. John Calipari is not a proven NBA coach. And yes, he's got a good relationship with LeBron James. And yes, he'd want to coach LeBron James because who wouldn't? And, and, and LeBron, I think, has said before, I think he's been quoted saying he would like to play for John Calipari. But what's he, what's he going to say in that situation? They're friends. What's he going to say? No. And, and there's been some NBA people that have said that LeBron, that's, there's, that's kind of maybe something that John Calipari has manufactured. Which, why wouldn't you want to do that? So that relationship between the two of them, I think it just helps John Calipari recruiting, and that's the extent of it. I don't think LeBron would actually really push for John Calipari to be his coach. And if he did, I think John Calipari takes the job because I think he knows coaching LeBron will, will translate to NBA titles. I just don't think Cleveland would offer him the job again. And if John Calipari, I, I don't know what other team, which other NBA franchise would offer him a job that he would want to take elsewhere. I don't think the Lakers are going to call on John Calipari to coach them. I, I, I don't think the Knicks are going to call John Calipari to coach them. I don't think the Celtics necessarily would do that. And those are the big franchises that John Calipari would want to coach for. He doesn't want to coach the Grizzlies. He doesn't want to coach the Timberwolves. He doesn't want to coach the Pistons. He wants to coach a big franchise. I don't think the big franchises are going to be interested in John Calipari. So that's what I'm trying to say. If he has a chance to coach LeBron, if he would have known that he was going to coach LeBron, he would have taken it. I don't know if you all saw this. They came out with the new college football playoff trophy. Brun DMC tweeted in the picture to me. I did see that earlier today. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I will. It's I'm not a huge fan of it, but I just don't care. I don't care. People shouldn't care. Maybe Nick Saban should care because this is what he's going to be, what he's going to have to hoist. But other people, it's it's not it's not the nicest thing in the world. To me, it just looks like a torch. Looks like a torch. They filled in with some silver. People were complaining on Twitter. It doesn't have enough bling to it. Doesn't have enough diamonds. Doesn't sparkle. Who cares? It, it's just another thing Twitter complains about. Twitter is the most pessimistic group of people in the world. If they get a chance to have their opinion on something, it's always going to be negative. Could the trophy be better? Sure, but it's fine. It's golden. It weighs 35 pounds. It's, it's, it's cool. Uh, it, it's whatever. And what people don't understand, a lot of people are talking about on Twitter that they're going to miss the crystal ball. The winner should be given the crystal ball, blah, blah, blah. They're still going to get the crystal ball, more than likely. The number one team in the polls at the end of the year gets the crystal ball. So unless there's a chance that a team wins the college football playoff and somehow doesn't end up being the number one team, that's the only way they don't get that crystal ball. So they'll get this nice little trophy that everybody hates so much, and they'll get the crystal ball, and hopefully everybody will be happy. Again, not the, not the prettiest thing in the world. But one, at least it doesn't have any sponsors on it, which I think is cool. And two, it's golden. So that's kind of nice, right? So 
anyways, that's that's my thoughts on that trophy. I'm glad you brought that up. Brun DMC. Moving forward, Kentucky, I got to get to it. Kentucky's football depth chart, SEC media days came out. Nothing earth-shattering, as you could expect. Brun DMC says the college football trophy might be taller than Nick Saban himself. That's a good one. It is It is really tall. The one, If I'm going to make one real complaint about it, the podium for it, for the trophy, if you're looking at the picture, just seems too big to me. Now, the torch part, it comes out, and you can hold that part, and that can be passed around, so you won't have to have the base. But the base is just kind of too big if you can do that. Now, maybe it has to be that big to keep it in place because, again, it is a 35-pound trophy. Yates, you know how much the Governor's Cup weighs that UK and Louisville play for? I have no idea. If you were to if you were to take a guess, well, what would you say? I'll say thirty pounds. Oh boy, it, it's it's bigger than that. It weighs. I, I I need to. I'm gonna try to look it up. But I think something like a hundred and fifteen pounds. It's a doozy. It really, I don't know if a lot of just normal fans would be able to pick it up themselves. But that's why you usually see when teams are holding it, it's usually two people. So it's a heavy little trophy. So much is made. The World Cup trophy is, is, in my opinion, maybe the best trophy in sports. That's my opinion. It doesn't have to. You don't have to be big and have a lot of bling to to look to look good. Anyways, UK football, depth chart. Speaking of lifting the national championship trophy, let's talk about this year's Wildcats. Nothing big, just no... They they don't list a starting quarterback. They have still the three same people in the running. Patrick Tolles, Reese Phillips, Drew Barker. At running back, they're between Josh Clemens... Or not Josh Clemens, excuse me. He's, he's third on the depth chart. But you got Braylon Hurd or JoJo Kemp. Two strong options there. Wide receivers, you've got Ryan Timmons, Alexander Montgomery, Javis Blue. It'll be interesting. You don't have a ton of freshmen, if any freshmen, on this list, except for Drew Barker. But you don't have Stanley Williams on the running back chart. He's certainly to be in the equation. An interesting part was they have the nickelback position listed where they have Blake McLean, which is basically what he played most the last year. Now they just have him listed in that position. Blake, McC- Blake McLean is going to have to have a big year for Kentucky. He, he, he's got to, if Kentucky's defense wants to do anything. Miles Simpson is going to give up football. He was a linebacker, didn't have a ton of production, but that's another body that Kentucky's losing, that did play last year. He's giving up football because of injury. So depth chart, nothing earth-shattering. Just, just I think, if one thing I took away from this is that Kentucky's putting a lot of trust in Blake McClain on defense. But we'll talk more about that tomorrow. we got to wrap up today's show. Thanks for listening. It, it was a fun one. It, time flew by. Rob Blackhawk's getting on me for not mentioning the Stanley Cup, but we can talk more about trophies and sports a later day. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.